Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Home Theater United. I'm Sam Poston, and tonight I am joined by Mr. Brent Watkins, a musician focusing on immersive audio experiences, and he's got a couple albums out, and is going to talk to us about Dolby Atmos authoring, especially for music. And I've been really excited to get into this uh, topic because... Uh, you know, as you know, the, the the goal of Home Theater United is to talk to folks in all areas of the industry, and we haven't really talked to somebody who's into sound design uh, and, um, you know, authoring uh, the actual back end of Atmos design and, and things along those lines. So I'm really excited to have him on. Brent, you want to say hi? Hello, everyone. Hey, and thank you for joining us. We're really, really happy to have you here. Uh, I found Brent uh, on Reddit of all places. Uh, we were uh, he was talking about a pretty cool project he's got going. We'll get into that in just a few minutes. Uh, but Brent, you bill yourself as an immersive recording artist, and you've just launched, launched your uh, new website and the second album. And uh, what what does it mean to you to focus on immersive music? And what kind of music are you creating? Well, first thing, uh, thanks so much for having me on your show. I'm sure. I'm glad we got connected uh, on Reddit, and uh, I've uh, been getting familiar with with your podcast, and I think it's just great. So, oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Yeah. So I guess to answer your question, you know, I'm going to have to give you kind of a long view of my interest, you know, not just in music, but in music reproduction. So oh, well, I that, was a That's kid. great. That That's the part of the point of the podcast. We're, we're here for as long as you want to wax philosophic on it. Well, that's why I love podcasts is they have time to get the context right. So that's that's great. I appreciate that. Sure thing. But anyway, I was a, a kid in the 60s. My dad was like a bonafide audiophile, um, had like the sickest setup growing up. It was great. And among my earliest memories, um, seriously, like one of my earliest memories was him asking me to hold a soldering iron like real still while he put together a Dynakit tube amp. Oh, that's and, awesome. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and you know, for the vintage audiophile fans, he had a pair of AR3As. Um, you know, we had the um, Pat5 preamp. It, I mean, this stuff would sell for, sell for some serious money today. So, um, but, you know, both my parents were extremely musical and they were into all different types of music. My dad's interest, um, you know, was from classical to jazz to Dixieland. I mean, it, it was all encompassing. My mom was from down south, so she grew up with Elvis and, you know, country music. So, yeah, really musical household. But my dad's interest in the hi-fi gear transferred to me really quickly. I mean, I, you know, I guess that's why I have kind of both feet planted in separate sides of the creative, creative process as a musician. I mean, like on one hand, I love to create music, but the other loves to engineer um, and is really into the production and reproduction of music. So, you know, I... I uh, I also believe just to be a well-rounded musician, I think you really have to devour all kinds of music. So, you know, in addition to just growing up with that, um, I think it's become a real um, asset for me to have not just been exposed to so much music in my youth, but really uh, being taught to embrace all good music. So, um, so anyway, I'm, I'm 
uh, really attentive to the work of a lot of different artists that I've been influenced by. And I really have a keen experience and uh, interest in both experiencing music as a listener and, you know, as a creator. Now, so in the 60s, to get the context to answer your question and a really maybe, like I said, a long view um, perspective. So in the 60s, stereo wasn't exactly a novelty. I mean, the advance from monophonic to stereophonic music really had been underway going back to the early 50s, you know, but the 60s was really the time period where it came of age. It was it was interesting because, you know, the record labels had these huge libraries of music recorded in mono that were no longer selling because, I mean, the general music consuming public had fully bought into stereo being better. And, you know, a lot of that was just simple marketing. Maybe not many people could explain why it was better. And they just knew it was. And if you went into a hi-fi shop and asked the salesman, hey, what's the big deal? Why, why do I need stereo now? Um, I remember they'd have a system set up and they'd put on a record and they'd simply switch their amp between mono and stereo. And pretty much everyone would have that, you know, aha moment because the difference is really striking. Um, but these, you know, record labels initially used gimmicks to keep selling the older monophonic recordings and each had their own branding. Some called it like electronically enhanced for stereo or stereo compatible. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Any of your vinyl collectors will know exactly what I'm sure. talking about. Yeah, yeah. But all of this, all of this was bullshit because they were all they were doing was using like some reverb and primitive EQ uh bounce between two channels to give it some notion of separation but it had nothing to do with true stereo and um you know i think there are so many parallels right now between the coming of age with stereo and now the coming of age with atmos and it you know it really goes back to again like my dad who was this audiophile who came back from the war with some money and decided, you know, he wanted a great sounding stereo, you know, and I think audiophiles at the time were, well, first of all, they trashed those efforts that, you know, the labels, the the, the crap the labels were trying to pull by re, repackaging old mono records as new stereo records. So we really have the audiophiles, I think, at the time to thank for for that so that the serious music fans, you know, they would avoid those re-releases, they wouldn't sell, and they demanded the music be produced specifically for stereo sound systems. I mean, you know, they spent all that money, they wanted the benefit. Yeah, but of this course. Meant, yeah. So, so this, I think, meant a flurry of new releases, not to mention everything that was happening in pop music at the time with the English Invasion, the Beatles, and all of this new, you know, exciting music and I think we really had a golden age of music and recording technology in the 60s. And so, you know, moving into the 70s with the advent of multi-track tape recorders and, you know, advances in production techniques, serious sound engineers, record producers, and musicians started thinking about, okay, what's the next best thing? I mean, if stereo's great, then speakers all around you would be fantastic, right? So, you know, in uh, and I was, really like i was in now in my teens in the 70s and i just spent literally i spent the days buried in stereophile magazine and um hi-fi and uh, i can't remember all the different magazines 
But, you know, I was fascinated when I first read the word quadraphonic. I'm like, oh, wow, of course, that's the next big thing with two, you know, two speakers. Now you got four speakers all around you. But, you know, the, the problem really was the end user format. And I, I don't have like the exact figures. I didn't research this, but let's say 80% of all music purchases were vinyl records. I mean, you know, true audiophiles might have a reel-to-reel -reel tape machine, but they were a pretty small minority. Otherwise, you had like the eight track, which was awful. <laughs> and then you had then you had the seventies, you know, the the cassette that really came of age in the, like the mid seventies. Okay? Yeah, that's where I come in. So all right, <laughs> so set, setting a level here. <laughs> okay, good. That's good to know. But you know, the thing is, none of these tape formats were robust enough for quadraphonic audio. And really, records was what the consuming public was, you know, they expected. Nothing nothing was on the horizon that would be replacing vinyl anytime soon. Certainly, the CD was another 10 years away, okay? But the, but the vinyl records, well, first of all, I mean, vinyl is fraught with playback challenges in regular stereo, okay? So while there were a limited number of quadraphonic records produced at the time, the problems packing all that audio information into the narrow vinyl grooves posed really more problems than they solved. And I have some quadraphonic records and they have like way more surface noise than just my regular stereo records. And then you had this quadraphonic stylus, which had a it, it had a hard time tracking, you know, the the um, the four different areas of the groove. So sure, yeah, bottom yeah. line is no one was line, <laughs> lining up for these releases. I mean, not to mention the added expense of buying new amps and every other piece of equipment needed along the signal path. You know, by the by the late 70s, I don't really remember hearing much about quadraphonic audio anymore. You know, there simply wasn't the market for it. There wasn't a demand. The labels weren't behind it. Um, it, it, it would take, I think, uh, uh, advances in technology and like a much more compelling cost benefit technology to revive interest in surround sound. But, you know, leave it to the movie industry to become that driving force. And to be fair, I think film production has always been a driving force to advance audio reproduction technology. I mean, you know, from the advent of the talkies all the way through Quad 5.1, now THX, and of course, at most formats. I mean, cinema has always strived to create the most immersive theatrical experience possible. You know, and I mean, it's for good reason. Um, they needed a reason for people to continue buying tickets uh, to a movie theater after the rapid rise of television. People forget that, you know, with the advent of television, the movie, movie producers, uh, the movie theaters, they were feeling really threatened and for good reason. I mean, the price of a ticket back then wasn't that much cheaper than it is now. And that was the only game in town if you wanted to see, you know, if, if you wanted entertainment. So uh, it, as in an answer to television, the screens got wider, the colors got more vibrant, and the sound became more immersive. And, um, and you know, we'll discuss maybe my background in filmmaking, but I've mentored a lot of film students and I've always made the point telling them that, you know, audio really is the most important technical element that must be its absolute best in your filmmaking. And why? Well, 
you can forgive a shot that might be slightly out of focus or maybe the lighting's not that great, but you can't forgive not being able to hear the dialogue. I mean, that renders the shot completely unusable. So, you know, not to mention then you've got the film score and the music that companions the film is really that third leg uh, on which the entire production stands. And and I should say, you know, the entire notion of films being silent, films were never silent, okay? Silent movies always were accompanied by uh, a large theatrical organ that would be installed in a premium, you know, theater, iconic theater, or at the very least, like your smallest theater would have some guy at the piano, guy or gal at the piano um, uh, playing music to accompany the movie. And so even before talkies, theaters were always, uh, always have already having to be aware of acoustics, amplification, and the elements that would really, you know, become uh, the foundation of, of audio technology. So, you know, any, if you don't have cinematography, uh, if you don't have editing, and if you don't have a film score, if you take away any one of those things, you don't have a movie. And, uh, you know, at least not one that people want, want to watch, but, you know, you have to have those three components. And so given that the film score and even the audio intrinsic to the content, the subject of the film itself is so vitally important, I think it's only natural that here we are in the 21st century, you know, 2023, and once again, we're seeing that the convergence of, um, uh, we'll say film technology, technically, it's video technology and audio technology have come together to create some of the most immersive experiences, I mean, far beyond what I could have ever imagined in someone's home, you know? Um, I, I mean, really, you don't have to have a huge investment to have an amazing experience watching a movie at home. And I believe, by natural extension, listening to music. So, um, you know, I've been very fortunate. When I was young, I could only dream, okay? I could only bury myself in those stereophile magazines, hoping that one day I might be able to own a pair of AR9s instead of the <laughs> AR3s, you know? Sure. And, 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 you know, so, so um, and uh, of course my career, um, I began as an audio engineer, um, uh, audio engineer working at a recording studio, actually an intern at Rosewood in Kansas City, and then um, moved back home, got a job with a local ABC affiliate and, and because, I mean, I was hired as like the weekend camera person making $4 an hour at the time. Yeah. And, um, you know, and they were, and I was like, okay, so how long do I have to do this gig that I just get weekends? You know, I've got a college loan to pay back, right? And they're like, oh, you'll have to be here, you know, I mean, probably at least a year before you get, you know, considered for full time. Because, hey, television, I mean, this was you know, when television was huge and uh, everybody wanted to work in television. And so it was really competitive and the pay was crap. But I thought, okay, whatever. And then the position opened for, uh, first of all, the morning audio engineer. And um, I went right in, right in. I'm like, I'm your guy. I, I live, eat and breathe this stuff. I, my internship, you know, look at my resume. I was hired. So I got moved into that position like three weeks after I started. 
uh, made a bunch of people way jealous, but that was my foot in the door. And um, since then, I've always been worked working in some branch of media production. I had my own production company for a while, um, done both film and audio work. So bottom line is now we're in the 90s and I've got a career. And because my career revolves around sound and video and, you know, media production, I, you know, I bought my first system. So I, it was a 5.1 surround sound. I remember like it was a Sony AVR and I got Sony speakers. I, you know, I didn't, it, it was very, very inexpensive, very basic, but it was, it was, oh, and I had my whopping 36 inch standard deaf TV. I mean, this was the day like back when entertainment centers had to be like really heavy furniture because yeah. the weight of those you know tube tvs um i think that 36 inch uh huge um tv we had didn't weigh too much less than like my seven, 75 inch you know um and, and was panel was this dvd error or prior to that no this is well you know that's a good uh, that's a good question it was just dvds were just coming out and that was like oh my gosh dvds are so cool they were just coming out we 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 had a, we spent most of our time like you know my family and the kids uh watching our library of vhs tapes and of course you'd go rent those and so it was just switching over i remember like getting my first PC that would support a DVD and that was just wild. So yeah, it was kind of as those that transition from analog to digital was kind of getting underway. But anyway, fast forward to about five years ago and now, you know, my long career in media production has paid off. Uh, the kids are grown and out of the house so I can spend the kind of money I've always hoped to, but you know, getting a system put together that really is kind of like my dream system. And um, I, I was first focused on the home theater because that's what I could talk my wife into spending money for. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I also decided I'd uh, get really serious about my work as a musician. I mean, I, I, I've worked off and on as a pianist since I was in my teens and actually released a pair of solo piano CDs that got some traction in the mid 2000s, you know. But my interest really turned towards a parallel passion I had had since my teen years, and that was electronic music. And, you know, again, it's about the resources. I, I had sense that as a kid, I was in a band in college. I had keyboards and stuff. But to, like, do the work of, like, you know, my, my uh, the groups I was a huge fan of, groups like Tangerine Dream, Crafter, Klaus Schultz, basically all the artists that emerged from the music scene that started in the late 60s in Hamburg, Germany. I, I was totally into that scene. But those guys must have had, you know, come from money or something because, <laughs> you yeah. know, the, the, the level, the complexity, first of all, you, you know, you couldn't do it with one keyboard. You had to right. have maybe five keyboards. Yep. And one of those needed to be a Moog synthesizer, which alone cost like <laughs> back in the day. I mean, it sure. cost like a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. So I'm not as a kid. I did not have the opportunity to really get into the music I love. But with advances again, you know, we're living in the digital age, advances in technology. 
now I can. So I mean, you, know, you can um, ha- you can have a Moog on your iPad for a dollar ninety nine. Oh my <laughs> god! I mean, so we'll talk about this. I don't want to skip ahead because I, yeah. I am actually winding my way to an answer. Sure, sure, no, no. Answer I to love your it. question, but I, I I bookmarked that because I definitely want to talk about that. But the bottom line is, here I am with a modest five point one point two Dolby Atmos home theater with like a 55 inch 1080p panel that we just had and um had around so um got into that i upgraded to then the 7.1.4 dolby atmos got a bitch in 75 inch like i said um 4k panel tcl series 6. um at the same time i built out a pretty robust digital audio workstation where i can compose and noodle around and and I do that in Apple Logic Pro X. So to get back to what you were just saying, Apple Logic Pro X is like having every synthesizer that ever existed and every loop library. I mean, it's it's so unfathomably deep and rich in terms of all the resources they provide you. I, I feel like I'm still scratching the surface. And on top of that, add their, uh, what came out with uh, this latest version, the Alchemy synthesizer, which basically incorporates some AI in terms of getting the sound you want really quickly without like thumbing through just patch after, you know, thousands of patches. And uh, the drum, uh, the whole percussion module, and it's just, it's mind blowing really. And, And so it just turbocharged my creativity. I'm like, I have got this amazing resource. I'd be an idiot not to fully leverage all I can do with it to just be the musician I always wanted to be, you know? So so to be clear, in, in case people didn't pick up on it, your production studio and your home theater are essentially the, the same system. They are. They are. And I'm pretty proud of that. And that basically um, is a testimony to how cheap I am. well we say we say bang for the buck on the home theater united right right i wanted the most bang for the buck absolutely yes yeah Yeah. and um and and so there there has been just a very unique convergence of opportunity because logic pro x um the big deal about that release which was the latest version is that it supported Dolby Atmos. Now, everyone got excited about that, but hey, surprise, I don't think people really know what that means. They're like, because I I didn't. I was like, oh, it supports Dolby Atmos. Get that? Now, you know, producing Dolby Atmos. If it were only that easy, it was. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a whole new it's a whole new way of thinking about audio production, right? I mean, it's going from targeting individual speakers to now you've got a volume of sound that you can move objects through. And yeah. that's, that's, you know, that's a, that's a mind blower, right? It is, it is. And, you know, it's like, um, what you do with that tool. I mean, first of all, uh, to just back up. So this is like, we're talking about a year, maybe 18 months since this was re- released. I don't know exactly, but I know it, it like had just been released when I, when I bought my copy and had upgraded my, my workstation. But um, up until that point, 
the only people who could produce in Dolby Atmos would have to be uh, people, you know, studios that had invested in the full studio version of Avid, you know, Avid's Pro Tools. Um, and that's a that's about a three thousand dollar piece of software. I'm not talking about the light version or you know whatever um, some people have at home. I'm talking about the full Dolby certified cinema recording partner version of Avid Pro Tools. And um, and so that is just not within reach for your average indie uh, artist like me. So um, you know with that new powerful tool. I have now, you know, I began learning everything I could about Atmos music production. And at the same time, uh, I was composing music that was really about building soundscapes. And I think this is where I'm going to eventually answer your question. But, you know, I was about composing um, these soundscapes, these kind of cosmic soundscapes to be um, specific in terms of what they were, because um, I, I had in mind building the space as much as, you know, uh, the music itself. And um, so anyway, you know, it's, uh, it, 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 it's like, I guess, well, it goes back to the dawn of stereo. You know, I, I really feel like um, we're in kind of that same place now. And, um, you know, it's like uh, producing, I, I guess the connection to producing in an, like an immersive 3D environment, it, it, it wasn't like some tangent because, okay, I just, I just got this software and I wanna use it. I mean, to me, I was in a, a really immersive space listening to the music. That's why I love the music. And, you know, it began, I, I remember as a kid with the first pair of great headphones I got. And how I that I mean binaural is pretty immersive if you think about it. Oh you yeah, know? yeah, yeah, and 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 it's getting a resurgence too for sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, just uh, you know, we met on Reddit, and of course, I'm about I'm sub to all the you know subs that are um, about audio, and yeah, that headphone sub is blowing up. I mean, there are so many young people who are just all about the headphones now. And really, it's great to see their enthusiasm when they discover just how good they can be. But, you know, um, so I'm thinking, well, okay, so, and, and I've already been watching movies on the home theater in Atmos. And I'm like, whoa, you know, it's, 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 it was mind blowing. I'm, I'm thinking, okay, it, this music I'm hearing in this movie, how awesome would it be, you know, to to create music in that same kind of space? And I'm not talking about like gimmicky production techniques where instruments are whizzing around the room, like, you know, so many avatars, you know, an avatar or whatever. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I know there, and I'm sure there's a place for that, but the experience of actually being in a space beyond the room you're in, you know, that's what I'm, a, that's what I'm after. Uh, that's what uh, you know. I hope the listener experiences when, if they're fortunate enough to be able to listen in a a true Atmos um, uh, uh, space. Um, but yeah, that's that's why I'm doing. That that is probably the longest answer to the first question I've asked ever on the show. But I I appreciate it. It it really does tell us where you're coming from and 
and what you're interested in. When when you first started talking about electronic music, I'm thinking like EDM type stuff, but your stuff mm-hmm. is way more atmospheric and taking somebody on a, a like a journey of sound kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I guarantee you that will be my longest answer tonight. Okay? <laughs> well, I'm I'm actually a little bummed that our uh my my original co-host Brian Dobbs is not on the show because he actually has a couple albums of atmospheric music as well. And uh, he he had been kind of noodling, getting into, uh, you know, kind of transitioning that to, to Atmos. Is is that even something that's possible? Can you take pre-recorded, you know, stereo sound and move uh, it into, into Atmos? Yeah, so how yep. does that work? Absolutely. And in fact, anyone who's um, subscribed to Apple Music and who has an Apple TV device on their set, okay, first of all, they are going to be able to plug that HDMI output into their AVR, assuming... Sorry. Now that... I'm glad we were close to the break on the question there. I apologize. Uh, I wasn't no, thinking of No worries. My, my phone's been beeping for a uh, meeting that I'm not going to tonight at 8 o'clock. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I apologize for that. Um, so let's just pick it up with your question about, you know, um, like releasing old, you know, music in the Atmos. I, I think we've got another point there. I'll just. Sure. Sure. Let, that's okay. let, let me jump in with the question. You can go for okay. it. Yeah, right. so, so the the bottom line is that I, I know a lot of what Apple's put out on Apple Music has been like remastered stuff from stereo into Atmos. Can can you walk us through that process? And, you know, it, is, is it really as simple as just taking stuff designed for stereo and, you know, spreading it around a little bit? How, how does the, uh, the object-based stuff work in a conversion like that? Yeah, well, um, so as you said, uh, and, and this is a testimony to kind of how serious our commitment, uh, when I say our, I mean the music industry's commitment is to Atmos, and that is the fact that these labels are releasing entire catalogs, okay, in the Atmos. For example, Talking Heads, Beyonce, um, Nina Simone, I mean the list goes on yeah, and yeah. on. Prince, uh, uh, um, the Beatles. Earth, Wind and Fire. <laughs> Beatles. And and so if anyone thinks this is a flash in the pan, forget it, because that we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars in production investment right there. Okay. And so to answer your question, it depends. I've heard some of these re-releases that are just amazing. Um, for example, Ella Fitzgerald sings Irving Berlin. Um, it's uh, it, it, I think this was recorded in the late 60s, maybe early 70s. So I'm not even sure how many tracks they were drawing from for the Atmos mix, but it was enough because you are in the orchestra pit with Ella. It's fantastic, okay? Now, others are not making what I would consider the best choices so that in the worst case, like you described, it just does sound like they kind of spread out stereo a little bit and. You know, they put some things from behind you. And it just didn't seem like a lot of thought had gone into the production because there's a lot of, you know, I mean, a lot of, um, what do I want to say, theory or or kind of, you know, an engineering perspective. I mean, where do you want your audience? That's the first question. Um, You know, do you want your audience, uh, 
in a table by the band. You want them mid middle of the room with a great space that has these amazing acoustics. Uh, do you want to be in the recording studio, which is kind of the tack that they uh, took with the Beatles, where it's like, you know, Paul's on your left and, you know, John's on your right. <laughs> I mean, you're right there and it's freaking amazing, you know? Yeah, and, um, and we had the same thing with movies too, right? That there was this whole philosophy that everything should be front heavy and a little bit of stuff from the rears. And mm -hmm. then, you know, you go to War for Planet of the Apes and you are in the, literally in the middle of a, you know, an avalanche and snowstorm and mm -hmm. stuff like that. The example yeah. I use in, in uh, Atmos Music is Tom Sawyer, where you're literally hearing the jumps from Neil Peart in 360 around you. You are in his seat. And the the danger is that that becomes a gimmick, right? Absolutely. And so, and so, I mean, it's it's a talent, and it takes a talented engineer to figure out where you know where where you want to position that so that it's not a gimmick. And I absolutely don't feel like the, the Neil Peart example is a gimmick. I no, I think no, that I, I I think that that was a brilliant choice, and uh, I I love that immersiveness, but I know a lot of producers are very reticent to 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 go full bore on it. Yeah, it's because difficult decisions have to be made, and inevitably, inevitably, someone won't be happy with you know those decisions. But you know those decisions. My point is those decisions are made in stereo. Okay, and um, if you go back again, I'm all about the history. If you go back to like hey, the hey, early '60s. Hey, hey, hey Brent, we're we're having some audio loss on your side. Are you away from the phone, or is that just uh, Skype being weird? Uh, it must be Skype. Everything sounds beautiful to me. Okay, we'll we'll go with it. it. Are we good? Yeah, I think so. It's it just seems intermittent, and it's probably just FiOS on my end. Okay, I uh, yeah, I hope it's not a bandwidth issue, but I think we're good. Okay. okay. So, uh, so, so let me just pick, yeah, pick, pick that, that up, up, or if you want to, I can pick it up. Um, so, you know, I love history, and if you go back to, say, the early 60s, the early, like at 64, with uh, the Beatles' early releases, about that time period, you have engineers that really didn't know or understand um, the proper use of the panoramic potentiometer, which is pan pot, now we just shorten it to pan, it seems like a very easy knob. It just moves things from the left to the right, but they were making awful decisions that we are forever stuck with, okay? Like putting all of the instruments exclusively on the left or right so that you've got, like if you had a jazz trio, the bass would be on the left, um, you know, the, the, the trumpet would be on the right, the drums kind of maybe in both speakers, but they just didn't get how to make make a natural blend you know where where the mix was somewhere in between and and we are having i think there are some recordings out there where time will not be kind <laughs> to the decisions those engineers made because quite honestly it can range it's like the zoom lens <laughs> you know if you watch movies where uh, that came out shortly after the zoom lens was invented Everything had to have this snap zoom, like, ooh, look at me, I can zoom, use my <laughs> zoom lens. Well, sometimes today you can tell their engineers, they're like, ooh, look at this, I can make this move around the room, isn't that cool? And then it ends up, you know, in the master, and we're forever stuck with them, you know, having some goofy take on where an instrument starts and stops at. So 
yeah, you know, and so when people are like, oh, I hate Atmos music, it's, you know, it's just a fad or it's just, it just ruins everything. Well, it's not the technology. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's the engineers and the production decisions they're making. I mean, it's also day one or year one, if you want to think about it that way, right? So they, they ha we haven't gotten to the point where, you know, the conventions are settled and the you know, exactly. there's like best practices out there. And we, we definitely saw that with the launch of Apple Music where, there was just so many different styles of production that it put a lot of people off. They're like, well, I kind of like that Neil Peart effect and mm -hmm. I want everything to have that. And it, you're just not going to get that right. It's, it's, you're going to be at the, the whims and mercy of the, the, a, the source material and how well that translates to different rooms and you know, what, what the goal was of the production team. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. And, and um, these things are, you know, still being worked out. And, um, I, you know, I am, because I'm just like everyone else, I spend a lot of money on my system, okay? I want to listen to those, you know, I want to spend a couple hours every night listening to music in Atmos, all right? So I'm listening, I'm devouring a ton of stuff. And, you know, you mentioned Tom Sawyer. Um, I just heard a new release by one of my favorite electronic artists, uh, William Orbit. Um, and he, he was most known for the Strange Cargo series of CDs, just a brilliant um, British electronic uh, musician, um, Grammy nominated, just, just great guy. So he's just released an album called The Painter, and he makes it clear from like the first minute that I listened to this album uh, that the Atmos space is his canvas. I honestly think that's why he must have named the album The Painter, because he, this is like, I won't say the only, but one of the few albums I've listened to that is like my vision. It's like, this is what I want to be doing. I want something that is an immersive space, because all of these philosophical decisions that we've just been talking about relate to, say, you know, real musicians and a real, and scratch that, rewind. I, I'm a real musician, electronic musicians are real musicians. But um, I should say acoustic musicians in an acoustic space doing a traditional live performance, okay? And whether that's in the studio or in a live concert, whatever, it doesn't matter. All of the decisions are based that this was actually acoustic music being made in acoustic space. So this is where all these decisions, you know, we talked about um, rest. I mean, you know, where's the audience going to be? Well, in electronic music and genres, you know, as I was describing, which, you know, like cosmic, Germans called it cosmische music. And then I think a British DJ started calling it Krautrock and that name stuck. But this is a whole flow of music that came out of Germany and then England. Uh, you know, Brian Eno was a part of it all through the 70s. And that genre of music is whatever space you want it to be, you know, I mean, so now it really does put the space you're creating as a component of the music itself. All right. And um, William Orbit's The Painter, uh, any of uh, your listeners that do have a full Atmos system, check it out. He makes full use of the Atmos space. It's done just exceptionally well. It's a brilliant album. It's a wondrous accomplishment. Well, we will definitely put that into the show notes, and I'm assuming it's on Apple Music, so we'll put some links yep. in there and maybe find a video on YouTube 
as yeah. well. Besides William Orbit, uh, what what are some of your other at, uh, favorite Atmos experiences? So, um, okay, well, I'll lurch into like a com <laughs> completely different musical gear, but I had Spielberg's 2021 uh, remake of West Side Story. Don't know, I, I'm sorry, I don't have the name of the music director, but that soundtrack for West Side Story, I mean, it's just an iconic part of the American songbook to begin with, but the soundtrack's in full Atmos, just as it is in the film. And, you know, whether or not 50s musicals are your cover, cup of tea or not i mean it's west side story so you know come on and and the soundtrack puts you right in the pit orchestra um it's the sound is just jaw-droppingly immediate and dimensional you know and uh, that would be a whole nother you know topic which is to talk about how an atmos config properly configured atmos sound system will definitely help you hear things you've never been able to hear before without question in the in the source content. So yeah, those are just a couple that come to mind. But I, I literally, if you go Monday, on Mondays, I believe, or Sundays, it could be one of the, but the beginning of the week, I always check my um, browse, uh, what is it called? Like, not listen now, but you know, let me open up my, browse, yeah, just the browse section in their menu. And you scroll down and you'll get spatial audio and that's where apple puts all the new releases so like every sunday or monday i'll just you know uh, fire up the apple tv scroll down in the browse section on apple music and see what's new this week because it's been like every week there's something new so that's pretty cool i definitely echo that uh when when apple music first launched their atmos stuff they had, um, you know, recommended lists for for every genre, from rock to pop to, you know, to uh, classical and things like that, and and they were keeping them up to date too, right? They were moving, you know, new new selections yeah. in and out, and so uh, absolutely, I, I, I remember the browse, the spatial audio really did highlight some of the the latest and greatest things. So that's cool. I, it's been a minute since I pulled that up, but we'll definitely uh, link link to those. Uh, those lists as well. That that's great. Uh, and uh, it was uh, Leonard Bernstein and uh, Soundhine did the original on uh, right. And uh, I believe the new composer is David Newman. David that's Newman. Him? That's the name I was uh, I was missing. You're right. Yep. Thanks. Yep. Okay. Well, that that's the great thing about the show is that I can do stuff in the background <laughs> while, <laughs> while while people uh, while people finish their answers. So that's great. Yeah. So, so Brent, to tell me a little bit about the actual uh, process of recording in, in your home theater slash production studio. Can you actually listen to, you know, say sounds be positioned in, in 3D space at, you know, as you're developing or how does that work? Absolutely. So, you know, like we discussed, I wanted the most bang for my buck. And seriously, I, as I was thinking about what I would need to create an Atmos studio, I was just like, well, I've got Atmos in the home theater. Why can't I use that? And I mean, I was careful to place my speakers to do everything in accordance to Dolby's guidelines for proper, a properly configured Atmos home theater. Um, and so it, it, and it was really just about the speakers, okay? Because there's nothing else that that will translate. You can't produce what a lot of people quickly discover once they buy Logic Pro X and think they're going to just immediately start producing in Dolby Atmos is that's just the beginning 
of the piece of the puzzle you need. You're going to need a 12 channel um, uh, interface, audio interface for all your IO. Then you're going to need a multi-channel amp to support all of the channel IOs that come from um, your Dolby Atmos um, renderer, which, uh, which they don't tell you you really need. Uh, so you just, you really can't just produce Atmos out of the gate with Logic Pro X. You have to also purchase the uh, Dolby Atmos renderer that's a part of their production suite because that really gives you the tools to manage that interface and most importantly to configure the room properly for faithful playback of uh, an Atmos master. But to answer your question, I absolutely so well, uh, let me just finish the whole thing there. So I, I've got that um, I, I've got a focus right. 18i20, which is um, uh, up to 20 outputs, so that more than enough to handle my needs. And I scored a really sweet BNK AV1230 um, 12 channel amp off eBay. This was like a $1,500 amp. I got it for 300 bucks. And um, then, of course, you have to be able to switch between the amps. Obviously, I can't feed the same set of speakers with two different amps at the same time. And if you try to just turn off one of the amps, the loads all whack. So you're, you're like the AVR will just shut down, say something's hinky with your speaker connections. I'm not, I'm not turning on for you. So, so I discovered that. So I bought a series of AV amp switches. And when I want to go from home theater mode to Atmos production studio mode, all I have to do is turn on the Atmos gear, flip all the switches, plug in my Apple Mac studio and I'm good to go. And from that point, I am in an Atmos studio. I have complete control over the source content. I have it sounding um, and I have two albums under my belt. So I know now how accurate the mix I think I'm making in my studio actually is when it comes back to me through Apple Music, you know, and Apple TV. And it's it's right as rain. So um so that's it that's that's how i do it and it's um you know it's it was the most challenging project i've probably ever undertaken as someone who professes to be an audio engineer um you know managing the io assignments and it, it just it, it was all i couldn't have done it actually without the help of dolby labs so they have a um, dolby atmos producers forum and um, it, it's really well moderated, well managed, because if I ask my questions there, I get an engineer with an answer, usually within 24 hours. Oh, that's and, great. Yeah. And that's, so they are the ones I have to thank for stepping me through. Yeah, no, you can't do it over HDMI from your Mac, you know, Mac laptop, laptop to your AVR. You cannot produce Atmos that way, you know? Uh, and that's too bad because that would have been the cheapest way. But, you know, I don't blame them. You have to have dedicated gear. You have to kind of, you know, um, <laughs> have the stuff that professional studios would have. And I don't blame them for for making that the requirement. But uh, well, well we, we should caveat that with today. Right. Because. Right. Right. right? Because oh, yeah, who, who knows what what will happen in the next release or two. But it, but but the, so the bottom line is the answer is no that a, you know an indie producer can't just you know hook up to a home theater and and get 
reliable results out out the gate. It it requires, you know, as you said, the focus rate. Uh, I forget the actual term for that in an amp um, to to be able to make make the dual system work. Right. So so that's good to know. But I mean, that's the next step, right? Is that you know you can do this on an Apple TV at ninety nine bucks, right? So right. You know, well, man, and you know, if you go to that Dolby Forum, you'll yeah. see uh, a long thread of uh, disappointed wannabe Atmos producers. Yeah. And I'm proud to say I was the first one because I was like, what? Oh, you know, I thought I could just no, you know. So so this is like every one of us who are trying to go down this path as indie producers are kind of bumping along the same same speed bumps, you know, and um. And I'll be honest, um, I have only talked to maybe two other people who are even like remotely close to doing this kind of the way I am, not with the whole, not with a dual um, kind of studio home theater thing, but just doing it at all as indie producers. They're out there, there's a growing number. I'm starting to network because, you know, it's just, I mean, it makes sense that we, uh, we, we talk to each other because there's so much so much to learn and certainly so much to teach others who are just getting into it. Sure. And and for all the struggles that you have as a music producer, you know, you can imagine that those are amplified, you know, a thousand percent with, you know, indie filmmakers who are like, well, why can't we do this in Atmos too? Absolutely. And, yeah. And, and that's, you know, I mean, that's something I could do as well. I mean, sure. because again, it's a home theater. I got a 75 inch, a sweet 4k panel i could easily do a film score there you know yep. i had all the requisite equipment so so other, other than streamlining the equipment uh, what 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 would you like to see as far as the production of atmos uh, you know how how do you want to see that progress or are you pretty satisfied that uh, that it that it worked out with the logic transition or what's the I'm, next step there well you know, there it's been a series of thrills for me. Once you get past the technological hurdles and just getting the gear configured, I mean, the first time I opened my Logic Pro project on my first album, and you know, started positioning things using their 3D spherical um, panner, uh, and, and it was just like it was just. A, a surreal experience, honestly. The, the it was kid amazing. in the candy store, probably. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. I was like, I had, uh, I was in, uh, I was at Willy Wonka's factory, man. <laughs> and 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 I I know that, like I said, even on the hobbyist side, that you know, people who are testing out audio equipment are like, you know, there's got to be an easier way for for this technology to to come to lay people, and that you don't have to be a you know, uh, you know, $150,000 a year engineer to understand this. And right. if, any, and if anybody's right. going to do it, it's going to be Apple. I don't, I don't know that it'll be this year, but you can tell that the, the dominoes are lined up for them to get there eventually. Yeah. I mean, they have a vested interest in Atmos succeeding from every angle, you know, I mean, whether it's the software, whether it's Apple music and, you know, a uh, big, Disappointment for us is like, okay, Ventura is going to support fully support Atmos, you know. So if your 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 laptop or your 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 Mac Pro or whatever could, you know, could do Ventura, then you'd be into Atmos. And it's like, well, we discovered those of us who are producers discovered that's not quite what they meant. They just meant that HBI, the HDMI playing, say an MP4 
off your desktop. Uh, if the MP4 was in Atmos, then it'd go out HDMI in Atmos. But that's basically what your Apple TV can do. So, you know, not a not a big deal. What we are looking for is uh, them to fully support um, the native Atmos production space in terms of I.O. so that we we could use, say, HDMI, you know, um, out into an audio interface or it could. Well, yeah, I, I don't want to go into all the geeky details, but there's more work to be done. Let's just, you know, say you know, Apple's done amazing things, but they they've still got a little ways to go. Yeah, but I mean that's Apple's mo, right? They they put the first step, <laughs> they put the yes. first step out and get you hooked, and you know yep. that they're eventually going to round around to it. Yeah, and yep. um, so I mean they they couldn't get to that step without having done this part first. Absolutely, and, and that's that's very true. Yeah, and and the same thing's true on the HDR side, right? So HDR is yep. obviously yep. important on Apple TV for playback, mm -hmm. and now you've got it on the iPad, you've got it on. Uh, the the uh, the the MacBooks and stuff like that, but it's not like the whole OS is optimized for HDR or Atmos. But exactly. you can but you can you know read the tea leaves and see, yeah, I mean that's the next obvious step. And when we get there, it's all gonna be you know um, you know milk and honey kind of deal. But but yeah, it's but, gonna be glorious. Yes, but it's gonna be pain getting there and at least a, a wait. So. So yeah. I, I, we're we're definitely looking forward to both of that. So uh, you mentioned that you've got a Mac Studio, right? You're um, yeah. Uh, how do you like that? And any regrets with the 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 newer, cheaper uh, minis coming out with M2s that are kind of pushing up against the performance envelope there? Uh, no regrets. So when I I had to I had to make a purchase decision last year. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I. I you know, every, anytime you jump into uh, a, a PC, you, you, you jump again at the wrong time. You know, yep. it's like you just have to settle that, okay, this is when I had to make a purchase. So just ignore the fact that they came out with the 16 inch M2 MacBook Pro, you know, the, the next year or this year. Um, so I went with the Mac Studio because it had the power. Okay. It has the M1, uh, the M1 Max. And and it's got it's all tricked out. I I, I realized I was getting uh, more than a MacBook Pro. Um, certainly, anything that was available at the time it didn't have a Apple Silicon version of the 16-inch when I made the purchase. So um, so I and I didn't have to pay for like the keyboard and the mouse, which I already had, and uh, I've got a pair of 4K Dell monitors. So I didn't need that. So I'm like thinking, how can I get the most Apple without the things I don't need? And the Mac Studio was just, uh, it checked off all the boxes. That That's brilliant. And it sounds like you and I are definitely in the the, the, the same frame of mind with that stuff. I did buy the the original 16-inch um, and uh, obviously they, they refreshed that this year. No regrets here either. You, you buy when you need it and, and don't look at any reviews after that, right? So. Yeah, and but this, you know, would be news to any, again, any would-be producer. Um, you're not going to do this on a 10-year-old laptop, right. okay? And your, your Apple um, computer has to support Ventura, and I highly recommend you get as much horsepower as you can 
And yes, you probably will have to make a special purchase decision if you, you know, have been muddling by with an older computer and want to do Atmos production. So uh, a, a lot of your work, it, it, the, the, the room considerations are something that it sounds like you're thinking about as you're making the music. At, at, yes. At this point, is Atmos mastering something that can be like a pass at the end, do you think? Or, or is it still really the best production is keeping that in mind from the start? Well, if you're producing new music, whether, you know, regardless of genre, you should definitely be thinking of it from the start because that's the time to make those philosophical decisions about where you want the listener in the space. You know, I mean, and if you're, it's far easier to do that from the outset than trying to figure it out after certain decisions, certain undoable decisions have been made. Gotcha. And on a related subject, um, have you listened to your music through like the, the spatial audio headphones and how, how do you like that experience? And be, because you're not, I mean, there's no pass that you're going through that, that does like a headphone check before you release to Apple. Right. And yeah, what, what's your experience it, been there? And that's a really, really good question. I'm glad you asked. And the answer is pretty straightforward as far as stereo versus Atmos, you know, and, um, and, and like we were saying, you know, I might have ideas uh, about the Atmos mix, but um, I'm always optimal destination, okay, which would be um, ceiling mounted uh, speakers in a full 7.1.2 or 7.1.4 configuration. But the reality is, most people who say they've listened to Atmos have done so on maybe some Apple AirPods Pros and hopefully the second generation because they're so much better than the first. But I'll be blunt, um, that's not Atmos. It's kind of a gimmicky. Oh, you feel like you, you've got your foot in the door to a you know wonderful new technology, but I've got a pair of AirPod Pro 2s, which I use to listen to um, my Atmos mix, but the sad truth is there's almost nothing I can do about the mix to make it sound better uh, on my AirPod Pros without, um, I, I just, Apple does not give you a lot of controls and their instructions for Atmos producers is leave it on the default settings, we'll take care of the rest. Sometimes that works. Sometimes I've heard spatial audio on my um, ear, earbuds that are great, you know. Again, it's not like to be compared with uh, a, a full home theater, but it's uh, it's pretty cool, you know. And um, others I've heard that's lousy. I just like switch over to the stereo mix because it sounds so much better. And like my first release, I was kind of happy with on the Air, AirPods um, and the second release, uh, I was doing some things that just didn't translate well. So, you know, whether it's like an Atmos soundbar or uh, or your AirPod Pros or, um, well, you know, I, and I hate to be a bear about this, but even the kind of up-firing ceiling, yeah, the, you know, speakers. The bounce. Yeah, those are all compromises. Yep. Because once you listen to full, properly configured Atmos, which, you know, I've got a brand new Onkyo TXRZ50 with Durac Live. And I just, there there has never been a better receiver I've ever listened to or had anything to do with that I could reasonably afford. Right. Um, right. As the Onkyo RZ50. And with the Durac, 
Uh, I thought I had a really good sounding system for um, 7.1.4 before, you know, and after getting the, it, it was just mind blowing. So all I'm saying is that experience cannot be, uh, you cannot compare um, sound bars or sure, earbuds. Sure, sure. <laughs> you know, you're not, you're not even in the same ballpark. Okay. Yep. So I know, even though I know that 90% of people who are listening to an Atmos mix might be doing that in that environment because it's so much more affordable, you know, I'm really producing for that 1%, you know, and to be honest, I mean, my, <laughs> my audience is so small now, as far as my fans, it's like, if I got that 1% of Atmos enthusiasts in their home theaters, I'd be doing really good. Nice, nice. Yeah, and I, I actually have in my house, I have four separate home theater setups. Uh, I have the 7.1.4 on an uh, like a first-generation 11-channel uh, Denon downstairs. And again, amazing. You can you know track objects moving in space like a laser pointer. Yeah. I, have, I have a bounce set up in my living room. It's satisfying, but it's not nearly the same effect. And then in my, uh, in my game office... Uh, I've got uh, some uh, like desktops with bouncers on top of them too, and that's got a vaulted ceiling, and that, that just wrecks at most. But again, it's better than stereo. It's better than five point one. So yeah. e you know every you know every room's a compromise. E even my full home theater you know doesn't have a a walled back on it because that's where my podcast studio is, and yeah. so I I I. I I think distilling your answer down to, you know, build for the best that you can, you know, envision anybody listening on and everything, everything else will, the compromises seem to work themselves out based on, yeah. on the algorithms. That's, that's really interesting to know. And it, might, yeah. it might not be the way that you would have done it, but at least it's consistent and works across all, you know, all the different genres and stuff like that. Yeah. And you know, and um, that's great. I mean, it's. I wish I could send people over to your house so they, <laughs> <laughs> well, they can they're listen welcome to, to the different choices. Sure. You know that they might be considering. But you know, here's the thing. Um, so, okay, going back to the '60s. Remember, I said like you go into a stereo shop, and it's like, what's the big deal about stereo? Okay, well, here, mono, stereo. Yeah, oh, yeah. oh, I see. I hear the difference. Yeah, yeah. How is that happening today? I don't know. Everyone's ordering their gear online, you know. Well, that's that's uh, why not, we... I mean, there's no there's no stereo shop they can yeah. go to where they've tricked out an Atmos, yeah. you know, room 7.1.4 and then they've got their stereo room and you can walk from one to the other. That's that's not happening. Yeah, the, the closest you can hope for is like a Magnolia built into a Best Buy. And that's why, <laughs> yeah. that's why we send folks, um, you know, interested in, you know, new members on home theater. We try to get them hooked up with uh, home theater meets or even mm -hmm. go up to value electronics up in, in New York. And I know there's some similar places out in California where they've got at least a couple different listening rooms. They're still out there, right? They're the small mom and pop places that really mm -hmm. care about that quality. And uh, well, that... keep, in mind, keep in mind, I'm 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 in Iowa. Yeah. You know, so, so, yeah, well, I'm sure those places exist, just not here. Well, actually, that 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 brings me to one of the questions I was going to going to ask. I was almost nervous to ask is like, what's the music scene look like in Iowa? Right. So 
And, and are, do you have other musicians that you work with on the, on on your albums? And how, how does that work? Uh, that's a really good question. So first of all, I, I think I've kind of painted a picture where I'm in like my own Genesis phase now. You know, I've, mm-hmm. I've done two albums. I'm really proud of them. And that is getting me exposure to other musicians interested in what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. So that's happening locally um, in my defense. And I'm coming to you from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Cedar Rapids, Iowa has always had a very vibrant music scene. Oh, nice. Okay. It's not... It's not your Austin, it's um, not your Athens, Georgia, okay, or Seattle, but there have been some musicians who've come out of here. Michael Boddicker, who a film composer uh, extraordinaire, um, and uh, we've had we've had a lot of great musicians come out of here, and some of my best friends are full-time gigging musicians based out of here. Um, there's a great music scene. Uh, my son is a really successful DJ. He's every weekend all over our area. Um, so yeah, it's a good scene. How many people are interested in Atmos? Well, you know what? I'm kind of like the. I'm kind of like the. What? What? What would you say? I'm like the. The wizard on the hill, you know, it's like, you know, if you want to know about that, you can go see Brent. He's all about that, you know, and and so so I am actually having someone over tomorrow night um, who's nice. uh, an up and coming musician who's like, do I need to be doing this? You know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, here, come in, have a listen. You tell me if you think you should be doing it. That's awesome. And 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 we, we definitely encourage that both at Home Theater Forum and Home Theater United is like the the whole point of this uh, this hobby is to be social, you know, get people out of their, you know, their own caves and go talk to other people and, you know, kvetch about, uh, you know, n- new technologies and new hardware. And if you tell me what your budget is, uh, <laughs> we'll help you spend it. And we we just did a whole show on that. So I, I, I love yeah. to hear that that you've you've got a community out there both for the music and the theater stuff. So that's great. And I'll tell you, building that community is is as important to me as making the music because it really is just what you said. It's a social ex- experience. It's an opportunity to bond, to form relationships, mm-hmm. um, and to learn. And you know that's pretty sweet. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so. Changing up a little bit, uh, let, let's talk about your background a little bit. You've mentioned that you've made a couple documentaries and I think even a feature film. What, what, um, what, what's in your background there? So I made two feature documentaries. My first documentary is available on Amazon Prime Video. It's uh, called The Entertainers. It's about a really obscure piano contest. Um, it was once held in Peoria. Peoria, Illinois. I think they like moved it down to Mississippi now or something. But I'm talking pianists coming from all over the world who play ragtime and stride piano. Oh, wow. Okay. So basically an obscure piano contest for a really narrow niche of music. And, (laughs) you know, I I first got the idea because, hey, guess what? I was a competitor back in 2004. uh, And uh, when I was just like really getting back in the piano... And I did okay. I mean, I did okay. I was like sixth, you know, so you had to make the top five to be a finalist, Mm. but I just missed it. But you know what? I made a good friend. I met a good friend of mine, Ethan Luceland, a better pianist than I am, has a great podcast too. Um, But he did make the finals and we had a great time getting to know each other. 
and how <laughs> how should I say, um, you know, the unique community of contest junkies. Okay. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. and and when I competed that first year, I thought it would be like a bunch of old timers dressed up in like you know the honky tonk don't don't shoot the piano player costumes like you see in the wild. Oh costumes. yeah. You know, and I was only half right. I mean, it was actually a bunch of young kids, compared to me anyway, dressed up in <laughs> honky-tonk uh, player piano costumes. But, you know, I was blown away. I was like, not only is it an obscure niche of music I happen to have been really into when I was younger, but it's kids, okay? So, you know, and we're talking about music that dates back to the 19th century. Yeah, <laughs> somehow they found it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and they were damn good players so help us get back yeah, in yeah so so I'm, uh, we'll we'll just oh, jump right yeah. back in you were talking mm-hmm. about the the community of uh of uh, ragtime players and, right right and that yeah yeah so my buddy ethan um uh had some good old friends of his that uh went out to la were filmmakers um usc school grads and so forth and we ended up joining forces we spent about three years making the movie um, shooting took me all over the United States and and actually Mexico because one of the pianists was in hiding from the United States government. <laughs> it's it's a long story, you know. Watch the movie. Yeah. Um, but we won a lot of awards and film festivals and it did really well. But you know, other than that, hasn't gotten a whole lot of attention since mm-hmm. it was first released in 2011. Gotcha. Uh, my second movie, um, you can see on YouTube, it's called A Hero Among Us, and it's about a World War II Army medic named John Goltier, who was he was among the first soldiers to reach the like the first concentration camp to be liberated oh, by yeah. the Allies in World yeah. War II. Um, so he is essentially among the first people who weren't Nazi, Nazis or victims of the Holocaust to lay eyes on the horror, you know, the horror of concentration camps. Yeah. I, I thought it would be unique. I mean, you know, it's a topic that's, I mean, many, many movies on the Holocaust. And I, as there should be, I didn't feel like I had anything to add in terms of, um, you know, the experiences that are normally portrayed. So I thought this would be unique because it was looking at what happened to the liberators. I oh, mean, okay. as you can imagine, at least for my subject, John's life was ruined by the mental trauma yeah. he experienced. I mean, keep in mind, this was like a small town boy from Ohio, um, graphic violence, and then consider the time. Okay, graphic violence was completely unknown in movies or anywhere you know, in the 1940s. Nothing had even remotely prepared him for what he experienced other than the horrors of war he just endured. So it wrecked him mentally. He had PTSD before psychiatrists even knew what it was. Right. Um, You know, they called it shell shock back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was also able to get a hold of someone who was a prisoner at this small Austrian concentration camp that he liberated. Oh, that's amazing. Now, they never met. But I think the compelling story arc was uh, how did two men from completely different backgrounds and different parts of the world end up in the same place under the most horrific circumstances? Mm. So, yeah. And, you know, I've never served. I'm not a veteran. And I I really felt it was like, you know, um, the one thing I could do to really honor our vets. My dad was a vet. Um, So many in my family are. Uh, my great uncle was killed in World War II. So, you know, I just, I felt like I did 
owe something in terms of my creative uh, abilities to honor those who serve. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, I, I, we will definitely put a link to that. And, and that's um, where, where did you say folks could see that one? It's on YouTube. If they um, search a hero among us, though, there may be other things that come up, but I can get you that link uh, and you can put that. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll be able to search for that and, and find that for, to, to have in, uh, as the show goes live tonight. Yeah. Cool. Okay, great. So, yeah. so it sounds like you've got a lot of different hats that you wear, and you're you're working full time at a production company. How how do you do, how do you how do you figure that all out? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I work for a nonprofit now, and oh, I think okay. that's. Um, but I do. I'm uh, you know I'm like the marketing director, and I I I'm still doing what I've always done, which is telling stories. You know, mm -hmm. and. I guess I, I just learned a while back that I got to work for like the mission instead of the man. Mm -hmm. I, I'm just not motivated by making <laughs> other yeah. people rich, but you know, um, they're, they are great. I'm kind of paid now for more what I know than what I do. And they're, they've get, you know, I have a flexible schedule. Um, as I said, the kids are grown out of the house. So I, I have more time. I probably haven't had this much time on my hands since like I was in school, you know, um, gotcha. or something like that. And not to mention, you know, the pandemic 2020, um, I was laid off for a few months and the government kept like throwing me money. And, um, I was actually making more <laughs> on unemployment <laughs> at the time that I was working. Nice. So I'm like, you know, I'm taking this windfall and I'm, yeah, I'm squirreling it into my, uh, my home theater. That's that's awesome. And I know you said you got two albums uh, in. Are you working on your third? Uh, I am. Um, I, I just released my second one last week. And um, and that, um, you know, that's really about. Well, it's an homage to Na NASA and the space program, and it really tracks um, uh, progress from, say, pre space program to the Apollo. I sample, um, I, I, I've sampled um, some uh, content off the golden disc oh, that neat. was installed in Voyager 2. Yeah, yeah, I remember and, that. Yeah. And so I'm building basic soundscapes that are inspired by space or exploration. And I th know that just sounds really geeky. Oh, no, <laughs> but, no, I love that. That, that sounds but, what's but the, What's like, the name of it and where can folks find it? It's called Distant worlds distant okay. worlds um brent watkins and it's on any streaming platform okay. it's available wherever fine music is sold <laughs> well but folks should find it on apple music for the atmos version obviously. i would strongly encourage yeah. that yeah that's yeah. awesome so um other than the, the 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 next album uh what what's next for you um, uh, so my son is very much a musician. Uh, in many ways, I think he's as capable as, if not more so than I am. Um, he's He actually scored um, the music in the second film, A Hero Among Us. Okay. And um, he is doing work. Um, I won't say we work very, I, I won't say we work in the same genre, but our work is very simpatico. I mean, we, we, it, we're orbiting each other and it's just so darn cool to be able to create with one of my kids. And, oh, it's amazing. Um, you know, with the movie project, I also use my other son, who's like a top notch artist and graphic designer works for national ad agency. And he, he does the design for all our album covers and did all our illustrations for this film. And, 
So it's, we are really a family. We're close to the family, but we're really family Vardis. And so um, this next project is collaborating with my son. It's, um, it's based on the Latin phases of the moon. So, I mean, you quickly understand that I, when I say I'm a cosmic music musician and fan, I, I really am, okay? But um, it's uh, the album, the working title for the album was Lunai Tempus, which is Latin for the uh, lunar phases. Cool. And so, yeah, each track will be a phase of the moon. Well, that's awesome. When when that comes out, you definitely got to ping me. We'll make sure it gets featured on Home Theater Forum as well. I, I totally, I really appreciate that, Sam. Thank you so much. Well, anything else that you'd like to promote or talk about? That I know you've got a really wild background and a lot of a lot of uh, experiences. Yeah, you know, and uh, people say I should write a book. I, I'm, you know, like I have time for that. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I. Uh, I am just really, really fortunate. I don't forget for one moment how fortunate I am to be able to have the resources and the time to create. You know, it's um, I, I'm aware of that because of what I said before. When I was a kid, when I was young, when I was in my 20s, I couldn't afford any of this. I mean, um, young people this you know today have that benefit of all this technology that has made creating so much more affordable. And even though as musicians, the it's like an ocean. <laughs> I, I mean, that's resulted in such an exponential increase of content and production in independent film and certainly in independent music. I mean, the chances of being discovered, I, I, I'm not deluding myself. It's like tossing a bottle into the ocean with your, with your CD or, you know, with your sure. message or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And, you know, hoping someone picks it up. I mean, it, it, you know, we've got that about that good odds of like, you know, getting our big break. But it doesn't matter to me because this is my therapy. This is how I get to bond with my kids. Um, I don't need to be rich or famous. I just need to be my best creative self. So that's really why I do what I do. That's amazing. And that. I definitely can appreciate that and definitely uh, feel very strongly in in the same way. That's why I picked up photography. That's why I started the the podcast is, you know, you got to feed that. I, I'm by no means any kind of artist. I, my, I come from an engineering background and the, oh, the, come on now. No, I'm telling you that that the it, I mean, I also tell people, you know, I'm a, a classic introvert. Right. So it's mm. work. And you can do the work. You can do the work and learn this stuff and build those skills and build those muscles. So, um, for well, I'll for tell folks. you, looking at my dad's Dyna kit, the one thing I remembered was how incredibly fascinating it was. And that was the work of an engineer. Yep. So I thought it was a work of art. Nice, nice. And, and like I said, uh, you know, we all come to, to these endeavors in, in our own direction. And, uh, I appreciate it, you know, hear, hearing about your journey, and uh, I very much look forward to pulling up summer music. Uh, unfortunately, I, I was away this week with uh, some issues with my folks, so I didn't get a chance to veg for an hour and listen to some of your music, but that's uh, that's next up on on uh, on my journey. So I, I will give you feedback once I've gotten through that myself. Oh, man, I'm holding you to that. If I don't hear yep. back from you, yeah, I'll, please I'll be do. saying, come on. Please do. <laughs> well, 
Well, um, I believe you've agreed to play our little game. Is that true? I have. All right. So we'll throw the theme music on for our copyright violation here. <laughs> we'll take it back down just... <laughs> Just, just to, to be consistent. Exactly. Yeah. I think if I'm less than 10 seconds, I've mm. got, got very little chance of being sued. So, so I know what my title is. Can you tell us what your title is tonight? AI. AI. Artificial, Artificial Intelligence 2001 okay. film by 2001. none other than the great Steven Spielberg. Okay. So, uh, you, as our guest, you have your choice. Would you like me to go first with my selection or you want to go with first with yours? Go for it. Okay, so my good, bad, or ugly this week is also Steven Spielberg, his latest production called The Fablemans, which tracks a family in the, I'm going to call it 60s and 70s, um, with a a young artist uh, who is interested in filmmaking, uh, and um, his family has a little bit of dysfunction, and they're dragged across the U.S. by a father who is not an artist. He's an engineer. So um, going to work uh, building the first series of high-speed computers for IBM and other companies. Have you seen The Fablements? I have not. It is on my list, okay. um, like as in this weekend my wife and I were going to watch it. Okay, so what little you know about me and my love of movies do you think that the Fablemans for me was good, bad, or ugly? Okay, so I'm 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 going to have to take an analytical approach here because I don't know you as well as I probably should and hopefully mm-hmm. will. But but okay, so it's no secret it's Steven Spielberg's biopic, you know, self like autobiopic is yep. that word? <laughs> it's it's thinly veiled. Yeah, and and um, and some are even saying, "Ooh, maybe it's his swan song. Maybe this is it, and he's out." Um, so you know, it's like with that kind of aura surrounding it, you know, some people can really do. And they say that the easiest story to tell is your own. Okay, so I have to believe it's good because I believe that that would probably be him at his best. I don't know. I mean. Yep. You have like, yeah. You would have hoped. <laughs> I, I, I am among the top one percent of Steven Spielberg lovers. I, I loved everything he did. Um, this did not work for me. Um, boy, where to even start with it? Um, there are no compelling characters on it, and I say that knowing that I'm, I may be talking about Steven Spielberg's own life. So, so there's that. Um, it goes. It, it, your your sigh alone. I you know. know. It's like it speaks volumes. Just that sigh right there. It starts okay, but goes nowhere. Have you seen? Um, what was it? Something like This Boy's Life, and then there was the the Netflix um, film, the big Oscar winner a couple of years back about the Italian, the family in in Italy. Yes. What was God, the name what of that? What was the name of that? Oh, I can't. I will think of it. At, yeah. But it's the same kind of deal, man. It's like a slice of life that I don't care about, you know. And, wow. and they're yeah. they're they're vaguely interesting things that happen, but. No, Spielberg. I'm sorry, buddy. Sorry, sir. 
And I say <laughs> I, I say that as somebody who won back when he was thirteen, uh, Steven Spielberg's director's chair national contest. What? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, it was a one of his first video games to take uh, FMV clips and make your own movie, and I was one of the finalists for that. Amazing. So amazing yeah, story. yeah, that was that was a better film than this. I yeah, think. I I I do not like talking trash about any's anybody's um, art of any kind because you know just getting any movie out is a miracle. Maybe right. may, maybe you're you're born on third base if you're coming from Steven Spielberg, but boy, yeah. this one did not work for me. Well, that's too bad. Yeah. I'm still going to watch it because yeah, I'll, please I'll be do. Interested. I, yeah. I, I'm interested to hear what what you thought, um, especially since your selection is uh, is one of his others that might not be in his top ten, but is interesting. Is AI? Why don't you tell us a little bit about it before you sure. before I guess whether you thought it was good, bad, or ugly? Sure, and I'll just say, hey, I'm right there with you. Uh, Got to be one of his top one percent fans. Um, I. To, be, to say how inspiring and almost godlike his presence has been in cinema would be almost an yep. understatement. So fellow fan here yep. and coming from that perspective. So I, I, I had to work on this so that I felt like if I ad lib that my that any kind of that I tip my hand. So let me just read okay. you kind of like a copy paste okay. summary of, of AI. So Haley Joel Osment, you know, who was most known for being Forrest Gump's son, stars as David, <laughs> which is a mecha, uh, M-E-C-H-A, like mechanized mecha, yep. or robot of the future, when the polar ice caps have melted and submerged many coastal cities, causing worldwide starvation and human dependence on robotic assistance. The first mecha designed to experience love, David is the son of Henry, played by Sam Robards, an employee of the company that built the boy and the grief-stricken Monica, played by Francis O'Connor. David is meant to replace the couple's hopelessly comatose son, but when their natural child recovers, David is abandoned and sets out to become a real boy, mm. air quotes, a real boy, worthy of his mother's affection. Along the way, David is mentored by a pleasure-providing Becca named Gigolo <laughs> Joe, played by Jude Law, Yep. And a talking super toy bear named Teddy. His adventures take him to the Roman circus-style flesh fair, where mechas are destroyed for the amusement of humans, Rouge City, where Gigolo Joe narrowly avoids capture by the police, and finally, a submerged New York City, where David's creator, Professor Hobby, played by William Hurt, reveals the secrets of the boy's creation. Mm. Now, see, the way that you have written that, I I would watch that movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. Originally, AI did not work for me. I would I would. Oh, so so you have watched? Oh, that. I have seen AI. I saw it in the theater when it came out. So uh, you gotta you gotta guess though. I do, I, I do. But okay. I'm I'm working my way to that. All right, all right. Um, and so up until <laughs> the Fablemans, I would have put AI at the least of Steven Spielberg's movies. And so now, really? it, now it's the penultimate least. Um, really? But I think it might have um, kind of earned its space more in the 20 year, 22 years since I've seen it. Obviously, AI is a bigger 
part of our society today. Maybe not on the robotic side, but at least on the machine learning. Well, not to and, mention the whole, you know, global warming thing is a hell of a lot more yeah, present now yeah. than it was, you know, in 2001, even though it was, you know, it's still a known problem then, you know. Yeah, the Pinocchio overtones turned me off, uh, and mm -hmm. especially combined with the childlike innocence um, contrasted with the adult uh, capabilities of the mechas. Okay. I think you found this to be a good movie. <laughs> okay, well then we're more simpatico than I thought. Well, now you have to tell me: did I think it was bad, or did I think it was ugly? Well, hmm. If it wasn't good, it may be all the way to ugly. You would be correct. Okay, good. I good, good. felt it was an absolutely awful film. Um, it was first of all, it was an incoherent plot. Okay, yep. I thought I thought it was going to be. I thought the beginning I thought was really intriguing. You know, yes. I thought um, I thought it was going to be, you know, this Android who, oh, you know, you think he's going to be jealous because the uh, comatose boy you were sure was going to die is actually, you know, revived by the yep. miracle of their modern health. And and he comes in and so you're thinking, OK, it'll be the android who gets jealous, of course. But no, it turns out the revived, uh, renewed, actual real son is the devil incarnate. <laughs> I mean, you know, and he's like he's evil. Yeah. And oh, then I'm like, OK, we've got a movie that's like turning the tables where the son that, sh uh, you know, the android should be getting jealous about is actually being tortured by the son. Mm. And then it was like, oh, what a brilliant way to get the audience on the android's side, you know. Yep. But what actually happened to me, it was like, well, first of all, it, you know, I hate I hate being emotionally manipulated. Okay. okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so it's very clear from from almost the beginning, though you're willing to roll with it. You know, it, he he tried to pull me into the anthropomorphism of androids. You know, with yep. the with the countless shots of Haley Joel Osment staring into the camera, <laughs> begging to be loved. Right. Yep. Well, you know, fuck the boy Andrew named David. <laughs> Tear his face off. I don't yeah, care. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not having any of it because he, he's giving me no reason yeah. to care. There, or, <laughs> or, or root for him, right? Right, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And furthermore, okay, so Macworld, it, it's like the original Blade Runner if the sets yeah. were designed by a carny worker on meth. <laughs> I mean, that place... Was just it was just full of these spectacular images that actually made very little, very little sense, you well, know. Not to mention, you've got this eight year old boy wandering around in this wonder world of sex workers with a yeah. gigolo who's all about adult, you know, being, yeah, being like, uh, I mean, he makes no bones about his love making techniques. Yeah. All of this struck me as like really creepy <laughs> and, you know, not in a good way. Good yeah, so it struck me kind of like the the uh, the Dracula movies and stuff like that. Like you, this kid could have the intelligence of a thousand year machine. Yes, yes. But has the face of an eight year old boy. But they didn't do that. They didn't do. It was totally indulgent in in the 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 adult world stuff, and then didn't make any interesting points about it or what could happen or or, or that this or that this kid could be the start of the ai revolution or something they just it it started nowhere and went nowhere okay so 
Good, I'm remembering it right. <laughs> you, you, your instincts have okay. not failed you. Well, they, they, they failed me on whether you might like it. Oh, well, yes, and but I you didn't, hardly I know. Didn't I mean, wanna, let's be real, we hardly know each other. I, I so didn't want to insult you by if it, saying it was ugly if you thought it was good, but I'm glad we're on the same page. That's amazing. Not, not, not being able to guess my opinion, that can be forgiven. Yeah. Actually liking the film, that cannot, that well, cannot be forgiven. I'm sure there are fans out there. I'm sorry. We're going to hear from them too, aren't we? <laughs> I guess so. Well, Brent, this has been an amazing hour. I'm very much looking forward to listening to your first couple albums. We're going to point folks to your background so that they can check out your bio. Um, your documentaries and if i get a chance to i will check at least one if not both of them out this weekend myself and uh, i really appreciate you walking us through the current state of atmos production i think it's i think it's a growth industry i think apple is really gonna make it so that anybody even knuckleheads like me can do atmos (laughs) production sooner than later maybe not with the level of skill and talent that folks with your background have but just getting past the the technological hurdles is the first step. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Thanks so much, Sam. This has been an absolute hoot um, doing this with you. I've had a lot of fun, and I, I really appreciate your support. Oh, no problem, no problem. It was great making your acquaintance, and uh, thumbs up to, to Reddit on this one. I'm yeah. S- I'm still banned from... Um, from commenting in slash r slash home theater so little still a little salty about that (laughs) i am i am too are you (laughs) oh we gotta talk about this hold hold the phone (laughs) take down the sound clip tell me about that oh well i mean it's uh i was um well i was really bitching at the mods about how poorly moderated it was and i speak as a moderator for a sub and it was just it's just turned into a toxic waste dump oh um i can't tell you how happy it makes me to hear you say that but continue (laughs) (laughs) it is it is and um uh i'm not even going to divulge because which sub did we meet in was it home theater uh I don't know because I, I, I sent you a PM on wherever you posted the the production stuff. Might yeah, have been an and I was doing I that know. in surround. I think that was like surround audio file or something. Something. At like any that. rate, I I don't think it was because apparently we're both banned. <laughs> yeah, couldn't have been home theater. So yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> so, it's, and, and I have to say, um, audio file um, is not too far off either. I mean. It's sad mm. to see so many people feel like they have to prove how much they know. You know, yeah. it is. Well, all of Reddit's home theater listeners should come to Home Theater Forum. Let's put it that way, because they Definitely. are the friendliest. I'm coming. I, I'm, uh, awesome. I will be there. No, I would. I was banned because there was a thread that said, "What are your fam- favorite Atmos demo discs?" Oh. And I, re- I, I literally only replied to a guy. Uh, that hey, I, I actually did a podcast about that, and here's the top ten. If you want to listen oh, to the show, oh, here's a link to it. Yeah. It, it, it. It wasn't my own post or anything like that. It was a reply to a guy who asked, 
and they banned me for that. And so all, all the alarms it, went off at it, the mods homes. It was it's it's a lifetime ban at a home. That's, that's unreasonable. it wasn't it I'm wasn't sorry, even like a two week or something, you know. That's unreasonable. Yeah, See, so, I I got I'm temporarily banned. Oh, so. Okay. Yeah, All right. Well, so. I I can say fuck the Reddit mods, and you you yes, can say fuck yes. the Reddit mods for two weeks. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Well, we're we're more simpatico than we thought, sir. We we'll, really are. We'll we'll take it out on that, Brent. It's been hilarious. I appreciate it. I'm glad we uh, got the sound fixed, and I appreciate all your input. So thank you so much, sir. Thanks, Sam. All right. Have a good night. Bye. You now. too. Good Bye. night, everybody. <laughs>